Welcome to What is Black, a parenting podcast where we discuss issues important to raising healthy and thriving Black children and teens. I'm your host, Dr. Jacqueline Duget. For this episode, we have a special guest host, Dr. Sharita Butler-Barnes. She's subbing for me because I've been busy with the new podcast, Henry's Library, so I'm so grateful for her filling in for me for this special episode. She's going to be discussing Black parenting and homeschooling. I think it's going to be a great conversation. You'll learn about resources if you're interested in homeschooling. Our guests will share their experiences with homeschooling and so much more. So let's get started with today's episode. Great discussion today about Black parents and homeschooling. Talk a little bit about um, what that's like and what your own experiences are. Um, but before we get started with this, I want you all to tell me a little bit about yourself so people can learn about how you like started this journey. So I'm going to start with Tanika first. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, so I am Tanika. I um, am. So I was born in D.C., but raised in Florida. So I am Southern and a Florida girl at heart um, to the extent that they're going to need to have a democratic governor before I ever move back. Um, <laughs> and um, we now live in Charlotte. I have, I graduated from the Florida Agricultural Mechanical University before getting my master's from Florida State. Um, and my husband and I have two children, James and Jude, um, obviously, who I currently homeschool. Um, I am also a writer, blogger, um, content creator. Um, I'm in the process of writing my first book. So, you know, just all the things. Lovely, lovely. Okay, Miss Maxine. Thank you, Miss Maxine. Yes, um, I am... What am I? I'm a child of God. <laughs> I am yes. certainly, first and foremost, I am the daughter of Maxine Johnson, um, who has been involved in community activism and organizing in St. Louis for as long as I can remember. And it was through watching her that I saw what it meant to be a social worker. So mm. I'm consider myself a scholar activist, um, a second generation activist, which I'm really proud of, um, and um, am really committed to fighting for Black liberation. My research in it, in the most specific sense focuses on intimate partner violence um, perpetration and how to help mostly Black and Latino men um, not act abusively in romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm driven by my childhood experiences of witnessing um, uh, intimate partner violence and abuse, uh, mostly non-physical, actually, um, and just really uh, don't want any children to have to experience that um, and uh, want to figure out scientifically what actually works for black men. Um, so that's 
that's the basic things about me. Um, I do hair and makeup on YouTube on the side for fun. <laughs> and yeah, okay. I've been doing okay. YouTube since before. <laughs> so I do that on the side, but I recently started a YouTube channel that focuses on um, tracking the experience of uh, being black in the academy. So mm. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit about me. Yeah, so, and I forgot, Maxine, do you want me to say Dr. Maxine, Dr. Davis, Dr. Maxine? What do what, 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 what we, we going to decide right here, right now? What am I, what am I going to call you? <laughs> I just go, Let's that's it. Okay, Sharita. Call me Maxine. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so I, for, I definitely thank you for both sharing your stories. And so I'm serving, I forgot to sort of start off with me as a guest, co- as a guest host for um, What is Black, and I am Sharita Butler-Barnes. I'm an associate professor at WashU, and a lot of my research is on racism and the intersectional experiences of Black kids within classrooms and how that impacts their education and their mental health outcomes. So I talk a lot about how Black kids show up in that space, how they're being treated, and how that impacts their identity of how they feel and who they are. So I am so excited about this topic today because I think that the way in which I came through this journey is very different. Um, and Tanika, I met you through Shakia, just that that piece of it. And then Maxine, I remember having a Twitter conversation where I gave, you know, where I spoke for, I think it was like US Today, and I was talking about COVID and black folks and homeschooling, and you were so impactful with your response and your own schooling experiences and why your mom chose to do it. So I think it's beneficial if folks out there hear sort of your journey as sort of being um, um, a child within that system. And then also, Tanika, why did you um, choose to start? And so I'm going to start off with the first question, and this is for you, Tanika. Um, Why did you decide to homeschool and how does homeschooling differ from your own educational experience? Okay, so um, similar to Maxine, I was raised by my dad, and um, I guess, you know, it would be like hashtag raise woke, um, because Mm -hmm. my dad was very firm on one thing, that I am a Black woman in this America, and I needed to be equipped to succeed as a Black woman in this America. So there was very little shielded from me. And from a very, very, very early age, I was raised to be an ally. So mm-hmm. that meant an ally to all disenfranchised. I mean, I remember spending Saturdays at, you know, homeless missions and, you know, going back, you know, three weeks later and be like, well, where's this family? And mm-hmm. they weren't there and, try, you know, understanding that. And, you know, I remember learning about homeless communities in the woods. And my dad very clearly, and not, you know, meanly, but very clearly stated to me, very little separates you from them. Very little separates you from mental illness. Mm. Very little, you know. Um, And my dad um, was in administration for Orange County Corrections for many, many, many years and saw, obviously, so many, you know, Black men and women incarcerated um, for minor crimes. And so again, these things were never, ever shielded from me. And so even before we had children, I knew that I was going to raise them to be 
allies. Um, mm. Another thing, like my dad and I still joke about it. He was beyond present in all of my school years. Like we laughed because my senior year of high school, like my dad was at open house. Like, let me see this class schedule. Let me see these teachers. Right. Come on, right. come on. Right. The social capital. The social capital. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I mean. Orlando is a really big city, but there was a very, I knew, I, I, I couldn't step out of bounds. Like, I was George Warren's daughter. Somebody somewhere was going to know and see me. Um, and so very early on, I just knew that, like, that is what my children were going to have. And, you know, so I read the question about, like, why I decided to homeschool, like, 70 times. And I really wanted to give you, like, a happy answer. And I kept trying to reframe my answer. But it's okay. Just give me the answer. The answer. Um, The reason I decided to homeschool is because of racism in America. When I was Mm. pregnant with my first child, you know, I just found out it was a boy. And, you know, got my little first baby's R.S. gift card and was so excited, bouncing, and my ground was murdered. Mm. And, you know, like most of America, like I watched his body just be held in the sun. And I had to watch his mom temper her grieving, you know. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I had to then hear her and, and other people in his community defend his memory as he became like this hashtag. And then I had to watch as justice for his life was wrenched from him, you know? And I was mad. Like, I never had joy wrenched from me like that. And I was angry. And I really remember going to God like, why would you even give me this child if I'm going to have to sacrifice him to, you know, whoever is having a bad Mm -hmm. day? Like, I'm not here. And he was just like, but, and I, I mean, God has very clearly spoken to me only a few times. And God was just like, I was, and I was like, I, there was, I, I felt powerless. Like there was nothing I could do to keep my black boy safe. Um, and God very clearly was like, you will keep him at home. And I was just like, uh, okay. But then we have, you know, I, I, bias starts against black boys as early as age three yeah. and depending on their size, you know? And so I, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to God yeah. with this. And he was just like, and you will keep him at home and you will teach him at home. And I was like, homeschooling is for white people. Like, I don't, <laughs> what? I wear shorts. I color my hair. Like, what? We, that, we no, we're not no fundamentalist. <laughs> right, you didn't went down a list. You went down a list of all the conservatives. <laughs> Right, right. about to be out here in no long denim skirts okay right. <laughs> I mean but that's what you think though yes that I mean was. that's what at least I thought like some of the ignorance that I thought why it's- people homeschool because I used to be looking at them kids like is that really what y'all but it was just so different mm-hmm. yeah but anyway I'm sorry Go ahead. So, I mean but but to your point um representation very much matters because here I have this direct instruction and was like, I am not equipped simply because I had not seen someone like me or a family like me do that. And, um, I mean, social media, 
I can say was very helpful because I was able to find Erica from My Busy Bees in Me. And I was just like, okay, it's one more person <laughs> out there exactly. that looks like me and is homeschooling. Um, and so my school experience, I went to both public and private school and the only way I could compare it to what my children have now, like in very early on, again, you know, being around my dad, having a husband, I was like, for as long as my children can, they will be free black boys. They will mm. have autonomy over their bodies. You know, mm. they will be able to to state their preferences and, and be heard and, and have hearts and pieces of them respected, you know? Um, and that is kind of a fundamental difference of homeschooling for us and what my, I guess, quote unquote, traditional or... Yeah. Uh, schooling was where I had to kind of fit in a box you know if I wasn't in that box I was not qualified or I was incorrect or I was wrong not what I did or what I need I may have had you know it was me as a whole or me and my being was wrong or incorrect and even things, looking back, had my dad not been so active in my school, mm-hmm. there there would have been things that happened to me that could have, I mean, basically like ruined or, or deeply affected my future. Yeah. You know, um, I was a cheerleader. A girl called out in practice one day, hey, um, can somebody hold my rings? I forgot my backpack at home. Sure. Put her rings in my pocket. We practice, practice, practice. Go home. She doesn't get her rings. I forget about it. Literally a week later, she says at practice, hey, did I give any one of y'all my rings? And I was like, oh, yeah, you put them in my backpack in the front part. Go get them. Our ring was missing. Um, Her mom felt like I stole the ring, um, went to the school resource officer and was going to attempt to prosecute me. And again, it is oh, wow. only because my dad was present because my dad, you know, became chummy, chummy, chummy with the school resource officer that the school resource officer immediately called my dad, let him know what was happening, let him know what steps he had to take. And, you know, knew me, knew that yeah. stuff, you know, but, I would have, you know, been, I, you know, and even my dad picked me up and very firmly was like, because, you know, the researchers called me in, interviewed me, all of this stuff, and explained to the mom, like, your daughter and her are telling me the same story. Like, very clearly, even if the ring was stolen, she did not steal it. There's no reason one ring, she would take one ring and not the others, like, stuff like that. Um, But my dad was just like, you don't allow anyone to interview you without representation present. Like those, so you were, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I was. You were able to have that to, to have that capital to have your father there in that space, and if you had not had him, then you don't know what would have happened at all. Uh, and oh, so, 
again, from then on, you, you, I was just on guard. Like there were just bits and pieces taken as, you know, like a 14 year old, you know, wearing mm-hmm. which belt <laughs> was going to wear was, it was a lot different. Um, so I would say again, just the freedom and the bodily autonomy. And then my children get to actually practice allyship. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas I did not get to do that in school. Um, those are very separated from me. So let me ask you a question. How old are your children that, you know, that you homeschooled? You don't mind? No, I don't. They are newly seven and five. Oh, okay. Okay. So hearing a little bit about that, though, makes me think about, Maxine, your experience. So tell me, why did your mom, this activist, this crusader for justice, decide to sort of take you down that path? And what was your immediate, like, comparison if you were like in a traditional public school and automatically being homeschooled, how did that process work and what did that look like? So, um, like Tanika, my dad, my mom was very present across all of her six children's educational experience. Mm-hmm. And, um, actually I, I just got off the phone with her because I'm like, mama will probably want to know, um, that I was doing this interview and we talked and, and kind of, um, uh, recollected our memories of what happened and come to find out there were some behind the scenes things that I didn't know about. Mm. So, um, I, of all, of all of my siblings, I probably was homeschooled for homeschooled for the shortest amount of time, and which was about um, a, a bit like a, a, a semester and a quarter um, hmm. of my sophomore year in high school. And um, previously, I went to um, gifted grade school and middle school, middle schools that were middle school that were both fairly diverse um, and had um, really positive experiences there. But my mom um, wanted me to go to private school and the, the, she had this, this, what she then later described to me now is like this image that, um, private schools in the county were better or um, Mm, better to teach me. And she wanted me to um, be at a Christian private school. Um, So I went to Life Christian School in Fenton, um, which is a very white area. I know that area. (laughs) County. Um, And I was the only black I think I got lost out there once in the um, entire school across faculty, staff, and (laughs) students. Literally nobody, not no one. Um, I didn't even have no, you know, that lunch lady that could reach out. Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Um, Yeah. And I remember feeling very isolated and um, very tokenized and uh, fetishized as Maxine mm. will tell me what the city is like because I grew up in the north side of St. Louis and that's where I lived. Um, and the uh, my peers being very fascinated with what it was like to live in the city and I'm supposed to represent 
All and then the black, black, all the stereotypes that come along yeah. with black girls too, being more sassy, yeah. waiting for you to be performative, all of these things. Right. Sure. All, yeah. all of that. Um, and I developed some um some somewhat meaningful relationships with um with a couple of people, but there were far too many instances of me feeling very alone um as black person and it became quick fairly evident to me fairly quickly that like this is not going to be sustainable I cannot do this for four years and that was mm. as I started there that was during my freshman years where when I started um and I expressed all of that to my mom and was telling her like I can't do this like I I miss my people I just want to be around like I just want to be around people that that look like me yeah that look like you yeah yeah so as I was telling her that just come to find out again a few minutes ago that she was encountering some um challenges with administration in which they wanted me to repeat some courses that I had taken um and the course was U.S. Constitution um, and I don't know how, how so let me get it. this straight for coming from a gifted and talented program. They wanted you to take us constitution over. Yeah. Or take it. Um, okay. Continue. Yeah. They wanted me, they wanted me to take it over. Um, and she was like, no, like, no, we've done this already. She's not going to do that. She's going to, no, she's not doing that. Um, so apparently that was a factor that I didn't even know about. Um, but from my perspective, all it took was a simple, like me saying, mama, I'm miserable. I don't, I don't know what we're going to do, but we ain't about to do this, this, uh, we need to do something. And by that time she had, um, had, had developed experiences in homeschooling my other siblings um, while they were in grade school at various points in time. And I asked her, you know, what, um, you know, were we all homeschooled for the same reason? She was like, no, each child had their own reason Mm. uh, or situation of why I decided to homeschool them. Um, And, and they're varying degrees. Um, So that, I mean, having just the freedom to breathe. And then mm. I ended up, um, we ended up home homeschooling for, like I said, about three quarters of a year. And I ultimately went to Normandy senior high. Okay. And ironically I went there illegally cause we lived in the city. Um, and so, you know, my mama to, to in today's world, and she'd be a you already know. There were so many families that did that. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I went to Normandy illegally and had a, which was a 95 to 99% black um, school and district. Um, so I went from one sort of extreme to, I guess you could say another extreme. Um, and had to deal with my own moments of internalized racism 
that mm. I had adopted mm. um, and got my got my superiority a complex checks real quick on the first day. Okay, like who you think you owe? <laughs> Not today. Um, but that that experience completely shaped me in the direction of of where I am today. Mm. Um, and again, the, just the freedom of that three quarters of a year to breathe and not feel just to explore, um, the topics that I was interested in. Um, we built basically the curriculum around what I was interested in. But one thing that I did face that I think might be a little bit different today is as, uh, Tanika was mentioning, like, that stereotypical image of what homeschooling is and the unknown um, and some stigma that was around it at that time um, uh, in the early 2000s and late 90s. Um, and so part of- The stigma around of, homeschooling. Stigma, yeah, stigma around homeschooling gotcha. and what it gotcha. means to be homeschooled. Um, and the duggerfication of it all. Mm. Uh, that's, that's what I'm going to call it. Because when you said that, I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I pictured. Tell me I'm the like, term again. Say the term again. <laughs> so there's a, there's a, the duggerfication. There's a white family who was on TLC for many years. Got you. Fun- I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Got you. Um, <laughs> and having like that as this is the representation of homeschooling. And so my mom, when she first started um, homeschooling, encountered um, isolation in the homeschooling community in the fact that there were no um, mm-hmm. homeschooling groups in the early early to mid 90s in the city um, of St. Louis, or if, if they were, they were inaccessible. Um, to her. So her and um, one of uh, her longtime friends and also homeschooling uh, Black mothers who homeschooled, they co-founded their own Northside Association um, for homeschooling uh, parents um, in in St. Louis. And so that those vivid experiences of her building her own, her and and her co-founder and friend and partner building their own community, um, whereas other access to resources were um, limited, um, are vivid like images in my mind of us meeting at Julia Davis Library and having graduation and like recognition ceremonies that replicated the, um, the visual experience of, of what you would have in in, in public school settings. Um, and so that was, that helped mm-hmm. some of the stigma because when asked, I clearly remember when asked, what school do you go to? I was, I we created a name of a school and if asked what school I went to, I described, I went to a private school. What's the name? I gave the name, whatever. I don't even remember the name. Um, but, but it's whatever the, your mom called that. Yeah. Oh, got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And that, that helped remove some of the um, uh, some of the the stigma about being found out about being homeschooled. 
Um, and like I said, I don't know how much of this is even relevant still today, but back then it was, it was definitely, I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm listening. Yeah. And I'm listening and I just remember my lack of understanding or just even ignorance around knowing kids that were homeschooled, but it was the stigma. And then just the not knowing, because like all the kids went to the neighborhood school that was down the street, right? In the eighties and nineties, that's what we knew. And so I think we see it a little bit more now. And then parents are sort of coming together and they're saying, because of these racialized experiment, uh, these racialized experiences, this is why they're sort of creating this sort of safe space. But one of the things that both of you all have like these different ways in which you came through it, you both talked about freedom. What does that, what does that like freedom mean? And so Tanika, you talked about freedom in terms of your black boys. You wanted them to have agency. You wanted them to have this autonomy. And then Maxine, you talked about just freedom to explore and to learn. So this leads a little bit into the curriculum and so how does homeschooling create this, this ally, this secure person, and this ability to sort of be, to be free that maybe this traditional school setting doesn't provide? Does that make sense what I'm asking y'all? Yeah. Um, and kind of piggybacking off of what Maxine said earlier about how, um, so maybe like there were people in your city that did homeschool, but like your mom did not have access to them or they did not look <laughs> like you all. Um, you know, when I first started homeschooling, maybe there were, they, they weren't fundamentalists, but they were very like, um, I guess what it's called now, like the wild schoolers, um, you know, where children just out in the dirt with no shoes on all the time. Um, and, you know, they're always at parks and hiking. And I was just like, yeah, I mean, again, we lived in North Florida at this time. I was like, the humidity is 97%. I'm not doing that. I'm not. No. Right. <laughs> and again, no one really looked like me. And it wasn't until, to this day, a very good friend of mine, she was the only one. She had three sons. I had two. And we were just, like, committed to supporting one another because we lived in the same town and there was, you know, there might be a homeschooling meetup here or a homeschool group here. And it, it was never diverse. I mean, even like story time at the library, which was, you know, for toddlers or what it was just, I felt very, very isolated. Um, and so, I mean, moving. And so when you say curriculum for me, especially for the first All of the preschool years, I created my own um, hmm. from library books or like um, just other things because even I would look at, you know, that guy had got one trick and I was like, let's study this poem. And I was just like, this is a waste of time. Like, we let's look at something from Lullaby, you know, <laughs> because I know like we when you want to look at a leaf and learn all about it, we can, we can jump into some Robert Frost, but right now we're going to build you. Um, mm -hmm. And again, to that allyship, I mean, very, very early while my kids were learning lift every voice and sing, they were also learning about Ramadan and Lunar New Year. Um, mm. you know, we were 
celebrating Hispanic heritage. Um, they have always done that. Um, in more to the freedom, not just of, I guess you would call it book learning. Um, at the beginning of the year, I kind of like, I've always heard that things like, what do you want to do? What do you, and I made it a little bit more formal, like having them write it down or drop pictures. Like, what are your goals? What do you want to learn about? What do you want to hmm. accomplish? You know, what's something, and both of them were like, I really want to go skiing. What? <laughs> like, where? Yeah. Uh, and I was like, okay, you know what, fine, write it down. All right. <laughs> yes, who went skiing? And not only that, we, it was so much more from that. We went skiing. We learned. We love skiing. Okay. We are all about, we spent all night, like, wow. We, you know, yeah. the next trip. But then on top of that, you know, I'm telling a friend about it. And I was just like, I am definitely going to write a blog about it because. The blogs that I read were very clearly written. Well, I'm not going to say they were very clearly written for other white people. They were not written with melanated people in mind. Mm. For example, I'm sure y'all can relate. You know, I went on vacation. I had some nice new box brights, okay? Because we're not going to be worrying about all it is, okay? <laughs> I Nobody told me, like, you need to be concerned about, you know, your helmet and your hat fitting over Right, right. For warmth. Just that so, cultural stuff. Yeah. No. I was yes. just like, everybody told me I would have done, you know, a smooth touch braid, you know, <laughs> and called it a day. Um, and she then told me, like, you know, her mentor, um, her, him and his sons go to the Black Ski Summit every year. And I was like, what? There, there's a whole Black Ski Summit. And so I told my oldest daughter, yeah, when we when we came home, he was like, I want to join Ski Patrol, and I'm just going to rotate between living in, like, Ohio, in North Dakota, in Colorado, so I can always be in the cult. Like, he was all about it. And I, I explained to him, like, and I asked, I was just like, so when we were skiing, did you see a lot of people that look like us? And he first he was like, yeah, there were lots of like kids and moms and parents. And I was like, okay, <laughs> there, there were family groups. But like, were they brown or were they, and I was about to say peach. So I was like, were they peach? He was like, pale. They were very pale. <laughs> and I was like, peach. And he was like, no, they were pale. They were very pale. Okay. Um, but they didn't, you know, they weren't brown like us. And he was like, no. And I was like, you have to understand that. For us, that was an insane privilege. And because of that, like, there are people who look like us that congregate together to, you know, celebrate their love for it and to be safe around one another. And he was just mm. like, when is it? When can we go? And I was like, I don't think you're old enough. But, you know, this is just something to keep in mind. That's right. Something to keep in mind. We'll take a short pause and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Mater Mea, a platform that celebrates, supports, and empowers Black moms through content and community. Mater Mea, also known as Black Mom Google, provides articles focused on supporting Black moms who have questions like, who is making children's music for Black kids? Or how can I add Black history to my child's Eurocentric curriculum? And so much more. It also provides resources and role models for Black moms and parents 
who want to practice mindful, gentle parenting and end the cycle of generational trauma. Visit matamea.com, that's M-A-T-E-R-M-E-A dot C-O-M to learn more and get on the wait list for the upcoming community for moms who want support as a parent while healing. Stay up to date by following them on Instagram at M-A-T-E-R-M-E-A. Like through the curriculum, not only are you building them up, but you're also setting up that. I mean, basically communicating. There's no boundaries. You can be and do whatever you want, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Very, very much so. That's uh, the freedom. I think that's the freedom that I'm sort of hearing and, and 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 learning. And Maxine, even for you, when you said you was just free to explore what you learned about, what did that look like for a tenth? greater or that period of time that you did that because you know the little kids is different from the teenagers and so what did that wondering what that looked like at the time I um was actually way more advanced than I am now in Spanish and I was enthralled with learning the Spanish language um Hmm. so I got to do as much as much of that as I wanted and to explore um, biology books as much as I wanted. Mm. Um, And I think a big part of just the feeling of freedom, um, I can't neglect like also the built-in rest from oppression that Mm. I remember. And so almost like, yes, almost like a healing um, of the racial trauma that I survived and the freedom to have the, have the constant prioritized measures of success be removed and just focus on what do you want to learn? Um, That's, was really powerful and transformative in, I think, a really a way that allowed me to then go on to thrive and feel confident in exploring things that I was interested in and not, for example, um, pursuing a career or pursuing um, university for anyone else. Um, mm. mm-hmm. so that, that I think, uh, as I like just reminisce on some of the memories of, like I said, the most vivid days was that rest from outside forces was really, uh, pivotal in my ability to soak up all that I was interested in. Ooh, I mean, that's a lot, Maxine. I don't think, now, now that I say it out loud, I don't think Ooh. that I had, I don't think that I ever experienced that again until my doctoral program where I got to just- <laughs> Academia. <laughs> right, right. Right. You, you research what you right. research and because you're interested in it 
and somebody right. pays you to be curious about things you're interested in. Like until then, right. so even through my bachelor's and master's program, it was always pre-scripted. And so until my doctoral program, um, the, the structural support wasn't built in like it was that sophomore year to encourage my development of and curiosities from things that I was just passionate about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's interesting that y'all both bringing it up because you know now, you know, there are parents, Black parents. I mean, the homeschool movement is increasing. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of parents, and this is happening across SES status. Mm-hmm. So parents are finding ways in which how to create sort of supports and resources because mm-hmm. of racism, whether in, in, in it's in charter schools, private schools, public schools. And what you said was that just that rest from trauma, that is a lot. Because I don't think we understand yeah. just how racism impacts Black kids. I mean, it, it wasn't until yeah. I was, you know, I, removing that from my children in turn had me to do a lot of work on healing that trauma that I didn't even know existed. Mm. Okay. So both of my children are neurodiverse and I remember just being very much like, you got to hit these boards, you, you know, like trying to make them fit into this box and into these frames. And I remember stepping myself and being like, wait, why? <laughs> Like, why do they have to? And I had to go back into myself because if you didn't, then you were wrong. Then you were bad. Then you were inept. And those things, I mean, very clearly told me like, you know, if I didn't perform well in science, it wasn't that this didn't interest me or I learned differently. It was, I wasn't good at science. So thinking career-wise or college-wise, I was like, oh, no, 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 we can't do anything in science. You know what I mean? Instead Mm -hmm. of rerouting that to to meet me, which I can very easily do for my children. And to them, not in a uh, rude way, but it it, it is very much their expectation. And they're understanding that, like, I I don't learn that like everyone else. Yeah, I mean, and you're able to, that's right, the different learning styles. Every yes. child is is different, even with my own. They're different kind of learners. But I think in those spaces that y'all create, you're able to sort of understand that a bit more because sometimes traditional, traditional public schools can create memorization droids. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, recite this, recite this, who can remember this? You know, that's a certain skill set, but I don't know if it's developing the critical thinking skills. And it sounds like both of you all are doing that. Now, another question I have is, okay, so this is the biggest thing that I run into, even from my own experience where, you know, I go out and and talk a lot to parents about racial socialization. What does it mean to have a healthy racial identity, you know, in, in, in terms of loving yourself? But one of the things I wanted to ask you is, um, for parents that are considering homeschooling who might not, who, who, I mean, cause there is this idea that you have to be middle or upper class mm-hmm. to sort of have to be, to do engage in some homeschooling. 
how do parents that want to start this, regardless of whatever socioeconomic status they're at, what would you tell them? Like what supports and resources are out there? I, let me let me chime in here. I think one of the things that um, I now especially value, um, but intensely remember my mom talking about, is uh, approaching homeschooling first by knowing your rights um, mm. and connecting um, connecting to to people social social capital to people who um, can really um, support, support your vision of what you want for the education of your children. And so even if that's just the, like I said, I, I remember our family and another family, um, so that's all like 11 kids. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just sporadically met and, you know, those are, you know, my God sisters now and everything like that, but knowing like the, the facts to oppose the myths of that have been perpetuated about homeschooling to particularly mm-hmm. black families and um uh, uh economically oppressed um families um and being able to confidently um sort of know legally what your rights are and um as a way i think to bolster your own confidence and ability. Um, my, my mom, um, one thing that's very different between her and I is that she always wanted to be a stay-at-home parent and focus intently mm. and intensively on raising her children. Um, and that is what she wanted as her... Um, as her career and as her contribution to society. Um, The other thing I think, and it's related to curriculum um, is, and breaking down some of those myths is the idea that you have to adopt an established um, verified or um, somehow um, accredited type of a program and only use that or have that as your reference um, in your documentation that, that you keep or whatnot. Um, and so I guess, I guess, I don't know where exactly to find this, but um, perhaps just familiarizing yourself with, again, like um, what your, what your rights are and what you need to um what you need to establish in case you are questioned. I think sometimes people fear um, uh, fear being reported or educational neglect or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think mm-hmm. all of that just kind of comes from um, the perpetuation of myths that that people, you know, um, then sort of recycle. Um, so that would be the biggest thing that I would encourage people and I just I just remember my mama being able to like cite stuff left and right and I don't I was like you know I I didn't <laughs> you know I'm not able to like recall what those things were but I just remember her serving as a resource and by the way she was so adamant about giving you her email address because yes. um, she 
She is come a on, send it, mother, mother. Come on, send it, mama. Yes. For anybody, parentunionmo at gmail.com. Maxine Johnson. That is her name and her contact information. And she's like, I don't know. I don't know what you call it exact, exactly, but a certified supervisor um, from one of the uh, curriculums, School of Tomorrow or something like that. Um, okay. But she can... She can walk you through that process almost like a homeschooling doula for people who mm-hmm. are new to it and particularly black folks. That is what she loves to do. I mean, that's just part of her her gig. So um, I know that that she can be able to provide some direct resources. I think that, so. But, thank you for that. Um, yeah, no, thank you for that. So it sounds like knowing your rights. But another thing I heard is this idea of like kinship and getting together with other like-minded folks who like want to do it. Um, and so yeah. there are resources out there, but it just comes from knowing your rights, it sounds like, and then just sort of connecting with other folks. Tanika, what would you say um, to the parents <laughs> that are listening? I want to start this that might feel like, oh my gosh, this might be too much work. Or, I mean, there are some things you have to know before you want to do it, but what would you, what, what like advice would you give? I mean, certainly all <laughs> of what um, Maxine said to a T. And um, just to, I guess, answer what you were saying about the socioeconomic status. Um, and, I, and I understand this is not available to everyone. We actually move so that my husband could get like better employment to sustain what we felt we were called to. Um, I know that's not possible for everyone, but I do know, um, as Jason said, like do your research, you know your laws. Also know your, your um, what is available to you. Um, some states have scholarships if your children um, are neurodiverse, have um, rare diseases, um, things like that. Uh, or you can get grants or even supplies like laptop, tablet from other organizations that mm. want to support you in speech therapy or all of these things that would be advantageous for you to educate your children at home. Um, also, a lot of people, just because, again, my kids are neurodiverse and have to have these um, like therapies and assistance, a lot of people will send their children to school because of, you know, aid and therapies and things of that sort. A lot of counties have co-op programs where you can drop your child in, um, especially if it is like a group therapy or something like that. So it does take research. I do feel like part of that research comes within the kinship because hmm. if this, you know, if you're walking into a box, you don't even know what to put up on the walls to research. Um, Another thing I would also say is play to your strengths. So for me, I thought I had to be this type of way. I had to have this type of setup to not just homeschool, but to be successful at it. And one, that's not true, but also I'm sure you can see that that just quickly fell apart, you know, because I was trying to be something that I am just not essentially not. Okay. I am very mm. tight. I am very organized. Um, so for me, having a general plan works, you know, so for all of the unschoolers that were like, we just wake up and we decide what book we're going to read that. 
that just leads to nothing and frustration, you know? Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I would also say play to your strengths. Um, And again, that is what worked for me. We we had, I, again, finances were very, very tight. So people, a lot of people think, um, especially when you're thinking about these kind of like box curriculum sets and, you know, you're dropping $2,000 per child on these items when there is a library. And I know a lot of library systems now have waived late fees. Um, yeah. To a certain extent, like if you, like I know with our library system, if it's more than three weeks overdue, then your card is like blocked and you can't put any more holds or anything like that. Um, on your account until those books are returned. Um, So there are things like that. Also, and especially, I mean, I started homeschooling in 2015, 2016, sorry. (laughs) And from then until now, the amount of free resources available to you. And again, the library, a lot of times per library card, you can print off, you know, like 10, Free sheets per day and most library systems don't even have an age requirement for you to get a library card so the things available to you for free to just substantiate learning until you even just wrap your head around it because a lot of parents especially when the pandemic hit were crisis schooling you know yeah, like that's right and what do i do and, and how do i do this um and to remove, I mean, I actually wrote a blog post about it, just like the bare fundamentals, you know, um, a lot of people think, because when you Google or, you know, search on Pinterest homeschool, you see these curated homeschool rooms and, and, and rainbow themed libraries, you know, in their home. And that is the impression of what homeschooling is, but that is very far from the actual reality. So um, I would say, Pay to your strengths, um, get support. Um, for me, again, it was just one person, but it grew once I moved. I moved to a much more diverse area. Um, mm-hmm. And even now to the point where like my kids, like I would have never signed my kids up for Cub Scouts because I have not found a diverse troop. And a homeschool mom whose son was an Eagle Scout saw a need and started in all black homeschool Cub Scout troop, you know, and I just got to sat, sit there and watch my sons be around other free black boys. Like, yeah, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. <laughs> so you yeah. just, you, you said it, it's work, but if yeah. you play to your strengths, I think it's work worth it. Okay. So yeah, I think that's, I, I, I think that sounds good. And so um, it's almost time for others, us to wrap up. But two things I want from you all. Is there anything that I did not ask that you want to inform parents about in terms of homeschooling? Um, I think in terms of homeschooling while, while Black, mm-hmm. um, I was just listening to a podcast the other day. And it was like, are you preparing the child for the road or are you preparing the road for the child and I think Mm. other ethnic groups 
have the choice. You know what I mean? Like, so they can cuddle and pamper the child and, you know, make the road smooth sailing and, or they have the option to not and just let the child do whatever and be able to assume those responsibilities. I think it is integral, especially for Black parents now, to understand that it's going to take both. Like, you're going to have to prepare the road for a little bit, but you're also going to have to prepare the child. Yeah, you got to do both. Yeah. And I know that was a lot, a lot of, you know, my peers, um, you know, weren't allowed to just be free. It was not safe. You know what I mean? And even Will Smith spoke about it in his book about how Black parents use fear as a method of discipline to ensure safety. Um, And so, especially, you know, with the move of Black and conscious parenting and things of that sort, I just really think it is imperative for Black parents to understand that it's going to take both. Okay. Maxine? Thank you for that, Tanika Maxine. Yeah, I I think um, two things. I think one, especially as a um, reflection of my experience, to homeschool um, doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do it for the duration of your child's education. It might be mm. sporadic time, situational um, uh, moment. Um, and that's what it was for actually all of my siblings. It was various time points in their education that my mom encountered some type of roadblock and chose that this, no, we're going to do something different. Which brings me to the other point is that there is no list of justifiable or defendable reasons to homeschool. Literally any reason. My brother, hmm. um, his teacher wasn't letting him go to the restroom like and and it was causing him like health issues and my mom was like oh mm. no oh no we will be withdrawn friday and like it didn't like there didn't have to be some catastrophic or some i guess that's my point it any reason to homeschool is a good enough reason um that's right if you're just curious about it and want to see what it would be like I think that's perfectly fine. And um, doing, I, I guess, approaching it that approaching it that way um, also combined with the idea that at some other time point, it, it might public school or, or private traditional school might be better for your child, then you can choose to do that whenever. Um, I think those two things maybe just to diversify the idea of what it means um, to choose to homeschool um, at various points across education. Oh, I think that that's great, you all. So thank you so much for being here with me today. I I hope that folks learned a lot. I definitely learned a lot too. Um, Some very powerful things, but one of the takeaway things for me is just freedom Mm -hmm. to just be, right? Just freedom to be Black you know, freedom to just be. I think that's awesome. So thank you all. Thank you. This was really great. It was nice to meet both of you. Yeah.
Thank you for listening. And thank you to our special host, Dr. Sharita Butler-Barnes and our guest. Music and editing for this episode is by Manny Simone. We want to grow our community. So please tell a friend about the podcast. Also, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Follow us on social media at What Is Black. That's W H A T I S B L K. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And check out our website at whatisblack.co to learn about our work and to sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date about our exciting projects like our upcoming documentary, Reading in Black Celebrating Black Children's Literature. And also, don't forget to check out our new kids podcast, Enemies Library. That's available on all podcast platforms. Until next time, wishing you peace, wellness, and joy, and a reminder that you are seen and matter.